Today's reading is Ephesians 4, 1 through 7, and 11 through 16. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, putting up with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you too were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us was given according to the measure of, God, of Christ's gift, and he himself gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, that is, to build up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person, attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature, so we are no longer to be children tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching by trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. But practicing the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ, who is the head. From him the whole body grows, fitted and held together through every supporting ligament. As each one does its part, the body builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. King's Quest kids, please keep your masks on as you head out to the lobby and find your teacher. Everyone else, please be seated. Thank you, Lynn. Kind of bummed the King's Quest kids are leaving because I kind of had a little story for the kids, but it's okay. I'll tell it to you guys instead. So my name is Steve Porter. Um, my family and I, we've been here at Grace for, for quite a while. I teach it over at Bible University, and so every once in a while I get up here in front of you and uh, have this opportunity to share. Uh, you know, it's so good that we have different voices in front of us on Sunday mornings. I was thinking of that. We had Pastor Eric Marsh here last week. We had uh, Noemi Chavez here uh, a while back, Maisha Cheney. Uh, Esther McCurry gets up here in front of us from time to time. Of course, Daniel and, and Will and Beth, uh, Beth's voice are up here. But it's good because it, it, it helps us not attach to a singular personality. A lot of churches have a, a lead pastor teacher, and that person is in the pulpit more often than not. But you know what happens is we attach to that voice, to that personality, and then Inevitably, what happens is at some point, that voice, that personality leaves that congregation. And oftentimes, a lot of people leave with that voice. So it's healthy for us, even though it's hard, I think, at times, to have different folks up in front of us. So I'm, I'm grateful to be one of those voices. So I did have a, a story that I thought the kids might relate to, but I think some of you might relate to it too. Have you ever found yourself um, late getting out of the house, and maybe particularly with your kids, Maybe, uh, there are a few kids here, yeah? Maybe the, yeah? And, and so maybe you're late, and maybe at the last minute, there's a few things that, that hadn't gotten done, like maybe teeth hadn't been brushed, or shoes weren't on, or 
I can't find a mask. And so you're already late, and yet there's, there's, there's more to do, and, and the, the temperature kind of rises. I, I had this experience with um, my daughter, Sienna. I got, a, I got approval for this story. Um, we were late getting out of the house for school. I walk her to a friend's house, and then they walk together for school. We were a little late, and at the last minute, there were like two or three or maybe five or six things that still needed to be done, and I was getting a little impatient. And so as we walked over to her friend's house, I, I, I gave her one of my fatherly lectures, speeches. And, and I talked about how, you know, it would be so much better for everybody if we just got everything that needed to get done 10 minutes, 15 minutes, even 20 minutes before we have to leave. Let's just make sure the teeth are brushed, the shoes are on, we located a mask, you know, backpack is there, water bottles filled. And to Sienna's credit, she was taking that all in, and, and we've been doing better at that. But as I was leaning into her, there was a little voice inside my head. As I was explaining how, how, how good it would be and how obvious it is that if we just got everything done and we were ready 10 minutes early, there was a little voice in my head, and, and the little voice calls me Steve. And, and the voice said, Steve, you don't do that. <laughs> and actually, the little voice said, Steve, I think you were about 40 when you, when you started to maybe do that a little bit. I'm that guy that, that knows I need to leave 30 minutes to get to where I need to get to next, and, and somehow I only have 15 minutes to get there, and I haven't left yet, right? I'm that guy. So I apologized to Sienna, and I said, you know, honey, I'm sorry, because it reminded me of this. It reminded me how, how easy it is for something to seem so clear, so right, so good, and yet it can take so long for us to actually begin to live that way. And I was thinking of that because the, my topic this morning is, is this question. What are we doing here again? What are we doing here on, on Sunday morning gathering, this, this time we gather on a weekly basis? And, and I think it's one of those things that we all kind of know the answer to it. We, it, in some ways, it's obvious, and yet I'm afraid that, that time and time again, it, it can take a long time for that answer to really sink in. In fact, I think a, a big part of what we do here together is to remind one another, to remind one another of, of why we're here. We kind of gently, graciously tap each other on the shoulder each Sunday, and we say, do you remember who you are? Do you remember that your fundamental identity is as a beloved child of God, that you belong to God, that, that your identity is you have been found in Jesus, and because of that, our lives are meant to look different throughout our week? I, I wish I had the guts during our little passing of the peacetime that we had to not just say, so how was your week? Or are you going to watch the game today? I wish I had the guts to say, and maybe some of you say something like this, I wish I had the guts to turn to you and say, so where was God present in your week? Where did God seem absent this week in your life? I, I wish I had the guts to turn to you during that time and say, what, what need are you bringing here this Sunday that we as a body might be able to meet? 
I wish I had the guts to tell you a need that I'm bringing here that you might help meet in my life. Uh, Eric Marsh, as I mentioned, was here last week, and one of the things Eric said is he, he talked about our, our staff, our, our pastors, and he mentioned Will and, and Daniel and Beth and Shannon and others, and he said, you know, Grace, you have, he said, you have one of the best church staffs in the city of Long Beach, right? And Eric Marsh, he knows that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he said, he said, but you know, the great thing about your church is you. It's your people. And, and as he was saying that, I, I thought, you know, I, I've been thinking about Will and Aaron and, and their family coming and, the, and this long search for a third pastor. And I kind of thought, you know, that's probably not the best way to think about it. We didn't hire a third pastor. We hired a 303rd pastor or a 350th pastor, however you want to count heads in the room here this morning and online or, or on the church rolls, right? We hired a 400th pastor. This is what we call the, the, the priesthood of all believers, that because we all have direct access to God in Christ by the Spirit, we are all gifted with grace to minister to one another. And that's why, if you're wondering, I, I, I brought the stick. So this is a staff. See, we're all under shepherds of the good shepherd. And so when we come on Sunday mornings, I think sometimes we, we should all kind of grab a staff. One of my brothers down here has a staff. It, 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 it reminds us that we come to shepherd one another. We, we get this word pastor from pasture, the, the idea of, of caring and nurturing a flock, shepherding. That, that we walk in on Sunday morning thinking, how might I come alongside one of my brothers and sisters and guide them in their discipleship to Jesus? How do I need my brothers and sisters this morning? So actually, I didn't just, I didn't just bring a staff. I'm actually going to do something kind of weird. When I borrowed this staff from my brother-in-law, he said, what are you doing with it? And I said, well, it's kind of an illustration. And I kind of told him, I said, it might be a little cheesy. He said, yeah, it might be. Yeah, so that didn't give me a lot of confidence. But anyway, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually uh, take this staff, and I'm going I'm to ask us to pass it along. Because as, and just as I'm talking, it's going to get a little awkward when there's a, a long gap here. But, but just pass it along, because I want us to kind of feel the weight of that this morning, that we're all under shepherds of the good shepherd. We come here to care for one another, to pastor one another. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I don't know where to, but I should probably start it. I guess I'll start it way down here. And maybe as you're, you're welcome, maybe as you're holding that staff, just to be thinking, you know, Lord, Lord, how might you be calling me to pastor those around me this week, to reach out to those? So I want to talk today, this morning, about three different models of church life. Three different views that, that vie for our attention in the world today. If you have your Bibles or something that can access a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Van uh, read it for us. We're going we're to get to Ephesians in a second, but I want to talk about these three models that I think are, are slightly off. And then I want to turn to a model of church life that seems to bring these three together. So, 
So hang on to Ephesians 4. We'll get there in a second. But the three models are these. The first model is, is this view that the local church is primarily here for the purpose of evangelism. That the primary purpose of the local church is, is to try to preach Jesus so that more people can come to faith in Christ. That, that's what we're here for. We're here for evangelism. We're here to equip one another to be evangelists and to try to get non-Christians on our campus so that they can come to Jesus. And I want to suggest to you that that's not the primary purpose of the local church. Now, don't get me wrong. That is an important part of what we're here for. It's not that it's inaccurate, but it's incomplete. I've been thinking about this biblical term, witness. In Acts chapter 1, uh, before Jesus ascends into, into the heavens, uh, he says to his disciples, and, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Then later in that chapter, uh, the disciples gather to, to um, add a twelfth disciple to replace Judas. And there's only one criterion for that, for adding a 12th disciple. They said, we need someone who's, who's been with us from Jesus' baptism until his ascension. They use this word, we need a witness. We need someone who has seen and heard the presence and power of Jesus. See, that's what we're called to. We're not, we're not so much called to evangelism as we're called to become witnesses. We gather together to, to experience together and, and usher one another into the presence and power of Jesus so we have something to witness to. We have something to testify. By the way, I love watching Ramona sing because, I mean, we could just get Ramona up here and have her sing again because that's a witness. That's a testimony. <clears throat> You can tell there's something real about this Jesus guy when you see Ramona sing. Thank you, Ramona. Um, and, and, and in that vein, um, I was in Trader Joe's uh, a, few, a few months ago now. One of the things I like about Trader Joe's is they, when you get to the cash register, they don't ask you, did you find everything you're looking for? Uh, I, I'll tell you later why. Every other store, it's like, did you find everything you're looking for? Right? I, I don't like that question. I think, really? Do you think I'd stand in this long line and, and wait to get all the way to you with five people behind me and then tell you the five things I couldn't find today? I, 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 I have trouble with that question. But Trader Joe's, they don't ask you that. They, they usually say, so how you doing today? Or your food looks good or something. I don't know. They, 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 they just say stuff. And I was standing in Trader Joe's about six feet behind, for some reason, the woman in front of me. And um, I, I heard the cashier ask her, how's your day going? And she said, she kind of paused and she sighed a little bit. And she said, well, I'd be doing a whole lot worse if it wasn't for Jesus. I'd be doing a whole lot worse if it wasn't for Jesus. And that cashier just kind of looked at her and nodded, you know. And I thought, that's a witness. She's witnessing. She's just talking about what Jesus is doing in her life. The primary purpose of the church is not evangelism, but rather the local church are the people with whom we become witnesses. We come together to, to see and experience 
the presence and power of Jesus. The second model of church life that I think can vie for our attention is, is not that the primary purpose of the church is, is evangelism, but that the primary purpose of the church is social service. That, that what we're really here for is, is to be salt and light in our world. We're, we're really here to, to reach out to the least of these, those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, those who are naked, those who are in great need. Now, don't get me wrong, I think that's part of why we're here. It's not that it's inaccurate, it's that it's incomplete. See, Scripture talks about how we love because He first loved us. That, that as we abide in the vine, we bear much fruit. That, that our outward life flows from our inward life, which is transformed in relationship with God. So we come together as a, as a community to, to find more of God's love, to receive God's love more fully so that we are enabled to more fully love those in need. The third model of the church that I think is often prevalent today is the idea that the primary purpose of the church is community. That's really what it's all about, right? It's about being brothers and sisters in Christ. We're, we're called to love one another and comfort one another and share one another's burdens and encourage and exhort one another. It's body life, right? community. Well, I want to suggest to you that that's not the primary purpose or mission of the church. It's, it, it, don't get me wrong, there's something right about community. It's, it's, it's not that it's wholly inaccurate, but it's incomplete. See, we're, we're a community because we've been adopted into our Father's family. We, we come to church not so much to build community as to build communion. Communion with our Father and out of that life with Him, communion with one another. Um, there's this quote by, by Henry Nouwen that I think has um, made its rounds around here before, uh, but Henry says at one point, it's far from easy to keep living where God is. Therefore, God gives you people who help to hold you in that place and call you back to it every time you wander off. Our primary allegiance is not to the local church as evangelistic outreach or the church as social service organization or the church as a source of community. Our primary allegiance as Christians is to the risen and active Lord Jesus. We are His people. He's called us to be His body of Christ here on earth. And so we come together to become more like Him. If we're going to be His hands and feet, we need to move out the way He would move out. And the only way we can move out the way He would move out is if we become more like He was. Paul says that we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And that's not just to behave like Jesus did, because that's not how Jesus behaved. Jesus didn't just behave. Jesus was inwardly ready to behave the way He behaved. 
And so if we want to be conformed to the image of Christ, we need to be conformed to the overall way of life he lived with his Father, in his Father's kingdom, by the Spirit, so that he was able to be the kind of person he was and do the things he did. So if I could be so bold, I would suggest to you, there's lots of other ways to put this, but add on the next slide, that the, that the primary purpose of the local church, uh, one, maybe one prior to that one. There we go. The primary purpose of the local church is to enter into one another's lives. And there's a lot to that. As sisters and brothers, to help one another become more like Jesus. And there's a lot to that. So that we can function together as his body wherever we are placed and called. We want to build one another up, and we want to build one another up in love, and, and love is an expulsive, centrifugal force. It, it, it moves us outward. And so, yes, uh, community is important. Service is important. Evangelism is important because as we grow up in love, we're called to love one another. That's community. We're, we're called to, to love our neighbor, including the least of these, our enemies. That's service. That's social action. And yes, we're called to love the lost. That's evangelism. Now, where can we locate this idea in Scripture? Well, I think we can locate it all over the place, but now I want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 in the time we have left and just quickly look at a couple points for this, from this passage. So if you, again, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4, I want to look particularly at verse 7, and then we'll, we'll jump down and look at a couple other passages. But Paul here is talking to the Ephesian Christians and really the broader universal church, and he's saying on, in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, we've got to be careful with that word grace. Grace was given to each one of us. I, and when I took uh, theology classes, and now I teach some of these theology classes, we defined grace as, as uh, grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Now, you have to be careful with that definition because you're liable to turn, or I'm liable to turn, grace into an attitude. God's grace is, is this favor he has to us, primi primarily in forgiveness. So how did, how did God give grace to everybody if grace is primarily God's forgiveness? Wow, there's people in the balcony. I didn't even know. Wow, that's cool. I didn't even know that. Wow. It's been a while. What's the view like from up there? How's my bald spot? Okay. Um, so, uh, but, but, but grace, grace is, is really more dynamic than just an attitude that God has towards his people. See, forgiveness is a gift, but forgiveness is an action. Grace, grace is God acting in and through us to accomplish things that wouldn't happen apart from him. You, you know God's grace is, is in action when things happen that you can't explain by human power and effort alone. God's grace is moving through you in a way that accomplishes things through your words and efforts that are bigger than you are. Have you ever seen that happen? Perhaps someone says a word to you and you, and you say, wow, <laughs> there was far more to what you said than you realize. 
I remember one time I was at, 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 at work, at school, and um, I was walking down the hallway, and one of my uh, coworkers, she stopped me, and, and, and she, she just made an offhand comment. She wasn't trying to be profound, but she was. She didn't realize that that comment, that word, landed in me and was really the exclamation point that I suddenly realized to, to what God had been trying to say to me for a long, long time. See, that's grace. That's grace moving through a person. Sometimes we don't even know or we're not aware that it's God's grace. There's this great passage in Isaiah that says, God caused his glorious arm to move with the right arm of Moses. And so when Moses put his staff down, uh, something more happened than Moses could do in his own power because God's glorious arm was moving with Moses' arm. What would it look like this week to think about how God wants to join you in your efforts? I've heard of a, of a university professor, that's the field I'm in, and I heard of a university professor who, who actually developed the discipline, he was a Christian, of, of stopping, kind of pausing between the different points in his, in his lesson plan, in his outline, and just silently he would say, he would ask God to join his words. That, and he wasn't teaching about Christian things, he was teaching about a, a, you know, a secular subject, but he said, God, join my words and help them to have an effect in my students that's more than just my own insight or my own planning. And what was amazing about this teacher is he won teaching awards, lots of them, and lots of people win teaching awards, but he wasn't actually a very good teacher. <laughs> but something would happen in his classes. I knew people who, who, do, who weren't even enrolled in his classes, people who weren't even enrolled in that university who showed up to take his classes over and over again on all sorts of subjects. And they weren't even aware he was a Christian. But there was something about just being in his classes. See, it was called grace. Grace was on the move. God's grace was flowing through this person into other people's lives, and there were effects that were beyond what could be explained by natural human effort alone. So when Paul says that we've been given grace for the body, that, that means the Holy Spirit is active in each one of us, and the Holy Spirit wants to join himself with your words, with your gestures, with, with your attitudes, with, with your actions to bring about purposes and effects that are bigger than what you could manage on your own. Jump down with me now to uh, verse 11 of Ephesians 4. It'll be up here on the screen. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, there they are, the teachers, I want my staff back, by the way, uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, notice there that, that, that God is going to grace these particular roles, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. To do what? To equip the saints. That's, that's all of us for the work of ministry. Now, again, I, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a context where ministry always meant 
outward activity. So now it looks again like, oh, the saints are being equipped for ministry. But notice what Paul says. He says, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. The ministry here, folks, is the building up of the body. That's the ministry. He's equipped us to equip one another for the work of ministry, which is to build the body up. And notice what the goal is of this body that's being built up. It's maturity, mature personhood, the the, the measure of the fullness of Christ. Again, it shouldn't surprise us. What's the body of Christ meant to look like? Christ. We're, We're meant to become together more and more like Jesus, the greatest evangelist, the greatest servant, the greatest builder of community who's ever lived. Jump down one more uh, uh, passage or two to verse 15. And he, uh, Paul continues there and says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And again, this metaphor of how we together, as Nowen says, are holding one another before the head, Christ, through whom the whole body is, is nourished through these ligaments that are working together. There it is. Here comes a shepherd. Thank you, sir. Someone said it kind of looked maybe like a teenage mutant ninja turtle uh, baton, which it does have that. Um. What was I saying? Um, so, uh, yeah, this, the, the, we're joined to Christ, who's the head. When each part's working properly, and we don't always work properly. I don't always work properly. But there's even a way to deal with that. It's called confession and forgiveness. But notice that, that as we're working together, as we've joined ourselves to the head and the head nourishes the rest of the body, that the result is we build one another up in agape, love. Agape is the kind of love that says, I'm willing to forego what I want to help someone else get what they need. As Dionne Warwick once sang, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. Or more recently, the Black Eyed Peas, where is the love? But see, that's true. Where is the love? Do you know that love Loving persons who are willing to forego what they want to help meet the needs of those around them? Do you know that love would mostly eliminate every problem of human existence? Vladimir Putin would not be thinking about invading the Ukraine if he was pervaded by love. And there's a whole lot of other people who are going to have to figure out and who are figuring out how to respond to Putin, and they would do a whole lot better at that if their lives were pervaded by love. One of my students uh, emailed me this week 
she was formerly a social worker in Los Angeles, and she was forwarding me an email from some of her social workers who still work in the city, and she was asking me and others to pray for them because uh, there's a lot of work going on right now amongst social workers in Los Angeles trying to rescue young children from being trafficked because the Super Bowl's in town. And sex tourism is a real thing. See, there wouldn't be the problem of vulnerable youth in our city being exploited if there was more love. And that's what we've been called into. We've been called into a way of life with Jesus in his Father's care where we build one another up in agape. Thank you. But the question is, how do we do that? Right? How do we do that? How do we build one another up in love? Well, that's what we're here for. We bring our staffs every Sunday, and we come together, and we say, Lord, how, how do you want me to help shepherd this community? I love our, our little tagline that's on our bulletin now. I like that. Uh, learning from Jesus how to live and love like Jesus. One of the things we learn from Jesus is that he was able to love the way he loved because of how he lived. And there's a way of life. He calls himself the way, the truth, the life. So let me just, in closing, mention three, three kind of final thoughts on this theme. Um, first, building up the body of Christ in this way, holding fast to the head, building us up in love. That's going to be the hardest thing in the world. Uh, we are going to want the church to be about anything else other than that. Because to, to begin to say with St. Paul, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I don't know that I really want that. What am I going to have to give up? So please make the church primarily about evangelism. Please make us this time about evangelism. I'd much rather care about someone else's salvation than working out my own salvation. P please make this time about social action. I love to get busy for Jesus so I can ignore the ways I'm not like him. Please make this time about community. Oh, community? Oh, food, fun, and fellowship. I love community. We can have lots of good food. We can hang out. Please, please make it about community. But don't make it about communion. Don't make it about actually speaking the truth in love and building one another up in love. So it's going to be the hardest thing in the world, folks. G.K. Chesterton once said, Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. Christianity has not so much been tried and found wanting as it has been found difficult and left untried. Second thing I want to say is it's going to take more than what we do between the hours of 9.30 and 12 on Sunday mornings to build one another up in love. It's going to take more than this time, right? And I don't just mean another class or another small group or Wednesday night Bible study, or another retreat, as good as those things are, it's not just going to take more time, it's going to take all of our time. If, if we really want to build one another 
up to become like Jesus. It's, it's, it's a full-time, lifelong paradigm shift. The Christian life is, is, is the whole enchilada. It becomes all of our life. And that's why I, I really love how we're in the practice here at Grace to really use this Sunday morning time to point to the rest of the week. This isn't the climax of our time as Christians. This is really a time where we point to what's going to happen in second hour, this afternoon, this evening, tomorrow morning, and throughout our week. If we're going to build one another up in love, it's all of life. The third thing I'll leave us with, and um, there's going to be some folks who are going to be praying for us. In fact, if those folks on the prayer team just want to go uh, to the side here, and the worship team, you guys can come up too if you'd like to. The third thing I want to leave you with, if you're, if you're sitting there saying, yeah, but, 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 but how? What, what do I do? And again, I would just say, well, that's, that's what we're doing. We're, we're reminding each other. But I'll just leave us with, with this one little line from, from the book of James. I think it's James 4, verse 8, where James, the brother of Jesus, says, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Draw near to God, and He'll draw near to you. And I think just in a little nutshell, that's, that's the Christian life, and that's the life of the church. We, we come alongside one another to help one another to, to draw near. And it's not that if we meet God halfway, He'll come the other half. God's already come all the way in Jesus. But, but as C.S. Lewis puts it, uh, God is the perfect gentleman, he, he waits for our self-affirming will to retire and make room for him in our souls. So he asks us to draw near to the one who's already drawn near to us in Jesus. So, so how, how might you draw near today? And, and if you don't know how to draw near or if you feel like you've drawn near to God and he hasn't drawn near to you, then, then th this would be a time to go pray and talk with folks on the side. Because if this is real then there's got to be a way to draw near. And if God doesn't seem like he's drawing near, then we need to ask God what's going on and say, God, what's, what's going on? How come you're not drawing near? We're drawing near to you. We need to put some of the pressure on God, by the way. Uh, he, he's, he's responsible for all of this, and he's competent to care for us. So let's go to prayer, and again, as you feel led perhaps to be prayed for or to ask that question and as we, as we go to prayer, just take a moment. Um, how might you draw near to the one who's drawn near to you? What would it look like this week to draw near to God as he draws near to you? Lord, help us to continue on our journey of becoming your people, people marked by having spent time with you, Jesus. Help us to encourage um, one another in that process, to build one another up in love. Lord, thank you for the love that is emanating and uh, flows from this community out into 
Long Beach and, and this various contexts. Thank you for these loving people. Help us to be filled more fully with your love that we might more fully love those around us. In your son's name, amen.